0: This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast, episode number 104, Secrets to Lasting Success with Johnny Mathis.
1: From the nation's heartland, this is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa.
0: Hi, hello again. I'm Jim Raposa, a.k.a. the Street Savvy Marketer, and I welcome you to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. We are seeing tremendous growth with our audience, and I, I really appreciate that more than I think I can adequately explain or convey to you. We are listened the world over. We've got folks listening to us in England. Italy is a big uh, place where we've got listeners. Canada, Mexico. Wonderful to have you aboard. And of course, here at home base in the United States. So we are listened to the world over and we are heard via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com. You can search for us there. And we're open 24-7 on our home website at Streetsavvymarketer.com. That's Streetsavvymarketer.com. All right. So here we are on episode 104. This is our fourth episode. And I think we can all agree success doesn't just happen. There are a combination of elements which absolutely must merge together in order to attain success, no matter the endeavor, and uh, to maintain it today, tomorrow, and for years to come. Now, some of you know that in my role as a marketing strategist, I sometimes work with entertainers, used to work a lot with entertainers, but uh, that's how we kind of come together with my guest today. My guest today is an entertainer who has figured out the puzzle and he's collected and connected the dots quite successfully. For 60 years, Johnny Mathis has been recording hit albums and singles. He still performs to sold out and packed concert audiences. It's amazing. In September of 2015, last September, Johnny celebrated his 80th birthday. That's not possible that Johnny Mathis is 80 years old. Some of his signature tunes include Chances Are, Misty, It's Not For Me To Say, Too Much, Too Little, Too Late, and so many more. So how do you engineer a wildly successful six-decade career? That's the question. Our guest, Johnny Mathis, will answer that question and many more in just a moment, here on the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast.
1: Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to
2: find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. They have experts who will help you ask the right questions and find the right place. Call a place for mom today
0: to speak with a local senior living advisor call a place for mom at 1-800-473-7516 that's 1-800-473-7516
1: call today this is the street savvy marketer podcast here's the street savvy marketer jim raposa
0: hello again i'm jim raposa the street savvy marketer and today on the street savvy marketer podcast we are all about success and longevity, so it's a, it's a real thrill to get to speak with a true gentleman and a man who has learned a thing or two about success over a, a professional career, which this year... Celebrate 60 years, Johnny Mathis. John, welcome to the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Now, John, I know that you didn't just open your mouth to sing for the very first time in 1956. Uh, music, is, music has really been a passion for you your entire life. And I read something. Is it true that your dad really is the first person who taught you how to sing?
2: My dad was just the first person who sort of sang for me and played music for me and we listened to uh, everything. My dad was a wonderful piano player and he brought into the house all kinds of music, classical music, popular music, uh, rhythm and blues, country music. I had no idea when my when I my dad sang for me uh, starting at about the age of four or five years old. When I started to sing with dad then he decided uh, if i a really wanted to uh, kind of pursue it uh, to take some lessons and uh, we went all over the city and found two or three wonderful voice teachers and and it all sounds like uh, a dream now because uh, what has happened uh, to me uh, over the years thanks for uh, with a lot of a lot of help from a lot of people has been uh, more than I could ever dream of.
0: Mm. Yeah, and uh, I know you have told me uh, on more than one occasion just how much music means to you, and I wonder if you can kind of fill me in, because it's amazing, here you are, you just turned 80, you still have the chops vocally, you still have the ability to mesmerize an audience, I I wonder if you can tell me how is it that... Where so many other vocalists uh, Who may have reached Maybe their 60s or their 70s Let alone their 80s the, The instrument just kind of vanished And disappeared But Johnny Mathis is still able to hit those notes Why is that?
2: Well of a lot of things, good things, that have happened to me uh, along the way. First of all, I I studied early on, and all my teachers really emphasized the fact that I'd probably want to sing all my life, so be sure and take care of uh, my voice and then taking care of your voice is, is a learned process as you go along uh you find out uh, what you can get away with and what you can't and mostly it's don't do this don't do that don't do this and uh, you live like that but you you get accustomed to uh to taking care of of your voice like uh i, I kind of got a jump on things when i i, I got involved in athletics and junior high school high school and then and on through college and even those uh going to the olympics uh, trials as a high jumper so i was accustomed to physically doing exercises and what have you and and later on i found out that you sing your best when physically uh, you feel good so i had a a head start a little bit from the beginning but people have said you can't afford to do this if you want to sing and how strenuously are you going to sing it's, it's a learned process. That's all I can say. And if you if you play it and do it right, the voice will hold up.
0: Well, you caught on to the secret early because, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you have been singing beautifully all this time. But uh, here we are, 2016, and it is 60 years since you were signed to Columbia Records and your recording career started. Take me back. Uh, here you are, still uh, very much a kid. Well, oh, you're 20, 21 years of age when you were signed to Columbia. How did that happen? Set that table for me. Tell me, take me back to the beginning of your recording career.
2: I was signed to Columbia Records by a man by the name of George Avakian, a big voice in the jazz world as far as recordings are concerned for many, many years. Uh, he has been a part of the uh, jazz culture that Columbia Records uh, instill George is, a, is an icon in my life, and uh, he signed me to my contract, and we did some music together, but he was a very bright and a very giving man, and he introduced me to Mitch Miller, who's in charge of popular music at Columbia, and uh, uh, I immediately uh, took to Mitch because he had had so much to do with people like Rosemary Clooney and uh, Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and and I was uh, looking for some sort of direction and he gave me a pile of records and, and I went through them and found some songs that I liked and he went to the studio with me and gave me his idea about what he thought I should do vocally. Unfortunately, I was able to do what he asked me to do. And he gave me a direction, which was very important to me. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I, I was able to do vocally a lot of stuff, but it had no focus, mm-hmm. and Mitch got that from me. He steered me in a direction that was comfortable vocally for me, and I could focus on
0: it. And certainly focus is something that's important to any career, any aspiration or endeavor. Our guest is Johnny Mathis, legendary entertainer and vocalist here on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, and we're talking about longevity and success, and John has both. This is the 60th year or the 60th anniversary of his signing to Columbia Records, and Johnny Mathis' start as a vocalist, as a recording artist. So, John, I got to ask you, you've done so many things. You've recorded with so many different people, Natalie Cole, Henry Mancini, Sergio mendez uh, t- tell me what is there is there one thing is the is the recording more exciting to you than uh, the live performances because you still pack them in is there one thing that you favor more than another aspect of your career oh
2: gosh, you know every aspect of my career is exciting and new no matter how much you sing or how many venues you go to over the world it's always the next one that you're excited about not taking anything away from what you've done in the past but music is so immediate and it's so lifelong that it's wonderful to to do what you do but you're always looking forward to what you're going to do next and Fortunate, if you're fortunate enough to, to maintain your whatever it is that uh, that you, you were first uh, you know noted for uh, as I am with my voice. I've been very lucky over the years and have a few little problems along the way but nothing major. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to sing all my life and it really is quite a joy and, uh, and something that I look forward to constantly.
0: You know in the times that you and I have spoken, I don't know that I've ever asked you this, so I'll ask it now. Do you ever get tired of of doing It's Not For Me To Say, or Chances Are, or Misty during a concert? Well, you don't get tired of it.
2: You, You wonder if you can bring the spontaneity to it that it's required. But as I mentioned, each time that you sing, it's so miraculous and so special. That you, uh, at least I don't. I never get complacent about some of the music that I have to sing because those are the things that people uh, recognize as being icons in my my career. Uh, no, I don't. I don't get tired of singing them because each performance is always a challenge to repeat
0: it. Yeah, and I guess the same can be said with most any other career. There is, there are always things you have to do repetitively, and you have to fight the. The, the temptation of, of boredom setting in or thinking, oh, it's the same old thing, same old, same old. But let me get into the personal side of Johnny Mathis. It strikes me, whenever I have been in your company, just how shy you are. And then you get out and you're on that stage and you open up and you start to perform... You know, that's kind of like a split personality, and I and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. So I want to take me again when you're at the start of your career. Were you painfully shy then? How did you get over this?
2: I had to get over a certain amount of shyness, and it kind of uh, it was a little bit of a negative for me. I was not comfortable in the, on the stage, so I had to really do something about that. I guess it was just a process that eventually uh, went away over the years. But there was so much music that was around me when I started. The Broadway musicals were just at the zenith. Sounds like West Side Story, My Fair Lady, Gypsy, on and on. And there was so much music available, I I just couldn't quite digest all of it. But I wanted to. And I was all over the place. I went to Broadway musicals. I went to uh, the opera I went to jazz clubs, went to rhythm and blues clubs, but the whole idea of performing or singing in front of large audiences, and especially on television, I had a problem with my teeth when I was a, a little kid, and the industry wasn't available for me. So the first thing that they did was, was if you got a, a, something wrong with your teeth, they they pull it out. So my jaw was not in sync all the time, and I looked kind of uh, ill at ease when I opened my mouth and closed my mouth. And for a singer, that was that was pretty devastating. But mm. it happened in the beginning of my career, and I was I was very uncomfortable watching myself. And then it wasn't until uh, oh, a few years later that I was able to afford to go to a, an orthodontist, and he uh, he fixed my jaw so that I could open my mouth properly. And 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 things like that along the way are are things that can make you uncomfortable.
0: When you look back at some of the uh, old film or videotape from the early days, do you ever think, yeah, I could do that better? Or do you just think, you know, for the period that was technically and musically as good as I was going to do, and then, it's you know, it's perfect and that's it, leave it alone. What what are your thoughts? What goes through your mind when you listen to some of the old recordings or watch some old appearances uh, from TV shows and the like?
2: I have to remember that I knew nothing. I I had no idea about what I was doing. There was nobody to help me. Once I left the studio and left the offices of Mitch Miller and Percy Faith and all these wonderful people, I had to go out and appear on television. I had no musical conductor. I had nobody uh, helping me with the music. And I'm a terrible musician. I'm, I'm really just basically a singer. And so I had to take charge of all the music and getting it to the right people and maybe making sure that, that it was played properly and getting to the venue myself. You know, it was, I was out there by myself and yet I didn't know how to go on television. I didn't know whether I should put on makeup or not. And <laughs> I didn't know. You just don't know things like that because it, you'd never done it before. And I was really alone. I was alone in New York doing all these performances, you know, like uh, Ed Sullivan's show and Dick Clark, uh, I went on his show a lot. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no
1: idea. Just <laughs> hope
2: everything came out. And when I watch these performances now, because they, they're all on, on uh, in the Internet, I just, you know, I say, oh, how, how old was I? And uh, And that was that. That was then. I haven't learned much since, but, but I, I've learned to relax a little bit and, and accept some of the performances that were
0: really quite bizarre. Bizarre, you say? That's uh, that's that's quite a way to capsulize a, a judgment of your own self, a bizarre performance.
2: <laughs> well, I... maybe that's not a good word, but but it seemed a lifetime away, and, and of course it was.
0: Well, it was, and, and and I guess in many ways it was not. But fill me in on this aspect of your career, John, because... At a Johnny Mathis performance, everybody seems mesmerized when you come out and doubly when you open your mouth and you start to sing. Some years back, I had been talking, I was interviewing Sammy Kahn, the great lyricist, and we were talking about Frank Sinatra, because Sinatra recorded so many of his lyrics, and he made an analogy that one of the reasons why Sinatra got the adulation that he did during his career was because his voice was part of uh, the very intimate act of people creating other people. Sex. You are a performer whose voice has also been part of that soundtrack of people making other people. And you get the same kind of response and adulation that Sinatra did. How does that affect you when you come out and and people are just glued to you and they're almost transfixed on Johnny Mathis who is before them on stage?
2: I've been so blessed come to see hear the music and uh, they really kind of get lost in it and it makes it makes me more comfortable because they didn't come to see me do anything other than bring forth some of the music that is very special to them. And I can do it in a way that's not intrusive, but adds a little bit to their enjoyment of whatever mood that they're in. And it means a lot. I get a lot of encouragement from one of my musicians, Gil Ryders, who has been playing guitar for me for over 40 years. Mm. and. Sometimes I wonder whether I'm getting through to people, and, and he's, he's kind of a sounding board for me, and he helps me a great deal. Uh, because uh, emotionally, this music is, is is very much, as you say, a part of people's lives. And I want to get it right. And sometimes it seems too simplistic to me. Uh, all I do is go on stage and sing the way that I know how to sing. But he has to remind me that, <laughs> that that's exactly what they want me to do. Because you do things, you know, your whole life a certain way and, and you say, well how interesting is this anymore? But you have to keep a focus and not try to be something that you're not.
0: And certainly there is another key to success is sincerity. You you have to be believable, and so does your marketing message. John, that dovetails uh, pretty closely to something that I want to address here, and you and I have spoken about this before, but I, I love hearing these stories from you. You are one of a handful of pop voices, if you will, Uh, voices in popular music, that are so closely identified with Christmas. You are Christmas music, and we've had other voices, unfortunately, no longer with us. Nat King Cole, Perry Como, Bing Crosby, to a certain extent, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. So how did Johnny Mathis become so closely associated with the Christmas season?
2: I think more than anything, I've been so thrilled with the fact that over the years, uh the Christmas music that I've recorded has been uh, brought to the airwaves and uh, I go into department stores uh, around the holiday season and, and hear my voice all over the place. And the reason behind my complete glee is the fact that it reminds me of my mom, because my mom raised seven kids with my dad on domestic wages, which was a Herculean kind of thing to do. They did it with such ease and uh, such generosity, and I always wanted to please my mom in everything that I did, and especially when I got a chance to make music. And I recorded a lot of religious music, different kinds of religious music, Hebrew music, gospel music, and Christmas music that I thought my mom would like. And to have it come back and back over these years, it just keeps my mom in the forefront of my life, and it never, ever gets tired.
0: What were Christmases like for you when you were growing up in San Francisco? (laughs) We were looking for snow all the time, and we never found it. But we lived in a very small apartment,
2: just my brothers and sisters and and a lot of uh, relatives who who came through San Francisco on their way to other places. My dad and my mom took them in, and so we were always a a lot of people. But Christmas was always concerned with smells, because my mom and dad were professional cooks, They cooked all sorts of extraordinary things during the holiday season and had all kinds of uh, fruits and uh, nuts and things that, uh, you know, that are typical at the holidays. It was all about all those smells. And then, of course, uh, the music, uh, because I was involved at the time with all kinds of choirs. I sang in mixed voice choirs. I even sang in the ROTC choir and I sang uh, in school in, in choirs and so at Christmas time I used to sing with my high school choir in the lots in these department stores at Christmas time and I remember that very vividly. It was a wonderful, wonderful time for me to be able to sing a lot of different music and
0: it was magical. You are the kind of an artist that seemingly has not been afraid to uh, to try different things as musical tastes have changed, you found a way to incorporate new sounds into a lot of things that you've done over the years. When you approach something that is thematic like that, do you ever stop and think, I may be jumping off into the deep end of the pool here. I mean, is uh, what makes you decide that you want a certain sound? Is it something that you've heard in a song on the radio? or uh, How do you approach that?
2: The thing that motivates me is, have I met someone who knows how to do this? and they can hold my hand and guide me through it and be a partner in it with me. As I said, I've I've never really done anything uh, by myself. It's always been a combination of uh, a lot of people. And when I decide that I wanna sing a country song, I make sure that there's somebody who helped me along the way. It's all a matter of having everything in place so that you don't make the mistakes that you would make if if you were ignorant of the genre that you're going to get involved in use a little moxie and uh, and, and try to prepare a little bit it's all mostly about preparation even when going on stage when I get up in the morning uh, and I've got to go on stage, the whole day is concerned about that one performance. And uh, and that's the way it is uh, with all these genres of music. And a lot of it has to once again go back to the fact that I was exposed to the music through my vocal training. I thought nothing of singing the popularly hit songs of the day and then jumping to singing uh, the Kol Nidre, one of the most sacred uh, songs in the, in the Jewish faith. And then I'd I'd sing uh, Brazilian music, which I I've always loved. But I have those people available to help me. I remember one um, one song that I still sing over the years. And uh, my drummer uh, Joel Osama played with the Symphony Orchestra in Brazil for for several years, and he sat every night for. Oh, I guess maybe 10 or 12 years and listen to me sing the wrong word in one of my Brazilian songs. And he finally had the nerve to, to tell me uh, that I was singing the wrong word. And I said, Why didn't you tell me before? He said, Well, you enjoyed it so much. You know, had fun doing it. Um, but yeah, it's so important to get, to get some really good help from. Some people who
0: know what they're doing. Give me a few names of some folks that you met along the way and you thought, wow, I'm playing ball with these folks. I mean... <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack
2: Gold, who was a producer of mine... Uh, and Jack was, uh, you know, he he had a horrible, horrible physical, I, want, I don't want to say limitations because he overrode he those limitations. And yet he uh, produced some of the best music that I've ever done. He introduced me to people like Gene Page along the way. And then I started to do a lot of duets and goodness knows, <laughs> singing with uh, people like Gladys Knight and Ray Charles and Lena Horn and... I never got a chance to sing with Nat but I became good friends with him uh, over the years and uh, you know just to know this man and to know his his character uh, what a what a great lovely human being he he was and to be able to have that god given ability not only vocally, but being one of the great jazz pianists of all time. And uh, most people aren't, uh, you know, they don't even know that Nat Cole was one of the greatest jazz pianists. And then just being in the same studio and on the stage with so many extraordinary musicians. And you learn to accept your limitations and also learn how to uh, blend with, with people. Uh, who have extraordinary talents? You're not afraid of them anymore. You want to rejoice on being around with them, and, and before you know it, you, you've uh, you've acquired some of the, the magic that they have because they're very giving. I've, I've never met anybody with extraordinary talents who who weren't, you know, absolutely. Uh, encompassing and and giving and, uh, and wanting you to be as good as you could be. That's the extraordinary thing that I learned. And so nowadays, when someone wants to introduce me to some iconic person, I've recorded a song with Elaine Page, for instance, who's one of the extraordinary divas of the Broadway stage. Mm. And it was a joy to be around her. And I wasn't, I wasn't frightened, because as, as I said before, uh, some of the things i had to overcome in my life was being so so terribly shy and that kind of goes away when you meet these these people who are willing to, uh, to embrace you and uh, and they know they know who you are <laughs> of these people know who
0: i am <laughs> of course everybody knows who you are uh, john i i want to respect your time and we had only carved out a certain number of minutes in your day today to talk but it has been a joy as always, and I hope you know that the door or phone line is always open to you to be a guest here on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, John. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Johnny Mathis, our guest on this episode of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. We have some closing thoughts and a little summary of some of the things that we discussed with John and a look ahead to episode number 105, our next episode of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Stay with us, please.
1: This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast.
0: Oh boy, April and tax season. Maybe this applies to you. If so, you want to listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world. And they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected. Protected today, call now 800 542 That's 800-542-6227. U.S. Tax Shield, 800-542-6227.
1: Here's the street savvy marketer, Jim Reposa.
0: That's me. And our guest today, Johnny Mathis, uh, really gave us some pretty good tips just to kind of summarize. Have a passion for what you do, a real burning desire to do what you do best. And be open to learning, but learn from the best. Be selective with whom you associate, and give it your best shot, no matter what you do. And also, have gratitude. And it doesn't hurt to be a nice person. i got to tell you, from personal experience, Johnny Mathis is just a, the, the very definition of a gentleman. Now, on our next episode, we're going to chat with noted author and marketer, Sean Buck, For those of you in the GKIC world, you're probably familiar with Sean. He was named the GKIC Marketer of the Year, and he has co-authored a book, brand-new book with Dan Kennedy, The No BS Guide to Maximum Referrals and Customer Retention. He also owns a company called the Newsletter Pro, and we will discuss with Sean his path as an entrepreneur, marketer, and the growth of his business, which helps other businesses keep customers and develop referrals with a printed newsletter. Sean Buck, our guest on the next two episodes of the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. My thanks again to Johnny Mathis for being our guest today and a big thanks to you for listening. I'm Jim Raposa. For more on my services, this show, show notes, and so much more, just visit us online at streetsavvymarketer.com. That's streetsavvymarketer.com. Com. We'll catch you next time. So long.
1: You've been listening to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. For more on this and previous episodes, go to streetsavvymarketer.com. Tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening.
0: A presentation of Raposa Media.